you are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Thursday, October 28th, 2021, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, and coming up on today's episode, we continue to give out report card grades to the Orioles for their 2021 seasons. And today, we continue a conversation that we started on yesterday's episode, looking at the top relievers that the Orioles used this season and giving out grades to each of them. Joe Paparato, who is the sports producer over WBAL-TV 11, is back on the podcast today. Yesterday, he joined us, talked about the Orioles' top two right-handed relievers as we gave out grades to Dylan Tate and to Cole Salser. And on today's episode, we go to the top left-handed relievers for the Orioles and give out grades to Tanner Scott and to Paul Fry. And it is an interesting conversation that we're going to get to today with Joe because, listen, Tanner Scott had a good start to the year and then he did fizzle a bit late, but, you know, he dealt with injuries. It wasn't his 2020 season, but he was still okay at times and didn't have, you know, a giant roller coaster. And then we'll spend even more time talking about Paul Fry and what the heck happened to him in 2021. He went from the Orioles' best reliever and really one of the best relief pitchers in the American League in the first half of the season to blowing up in the second half, not being able to throw any strikes, and finishing the final month of the season in AAA Norfolk. We'll talk about what happened to Paul Fry, what it could have been, what the Orioles should do moving forward, and should they give him another chance? Because Fry is arbitration eligible this offseason, as is Tanner Scott, which we'll talk about. And could one of these two guys maybe not be back with the O's in 2022? We're going to get to all that and more on today's episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. And before we get to that with Joe Paparato, just wanted to thank you for making Locked On Orioles your first listen of the day. Locked On Orioles is free and available on all podcast platforms. And remember, we are the only podcast bringing you daily Orioles content. Monday through Friday, you wake up, there's a new episode of Locked On Orioles in your inbox focusing specifically on the O's, even in the offseason, Monday through Friday episodes covering the Orioles. And when we get deeper into the offseason, we will cut down to three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. But even then, we'll still be the only podcast covering just the Orioles three days a week. So if you're liking what you're hearing on the podcast, make sure to like, follow, subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you may be listening on. And specifically, if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, if you could scroll down on that Apple Podcasts app and leave a rating and a review if you could. Just a quick five-star rating and uh, just a little comment about the pod, what you like, what you don't like, what we could do better, or just a comment about the Orioles or a question about the Orioles that you would like answered on the show. Uh, We will answer it on a future episode as well, but those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts really help out the pod and really help me to continue bringing you this daily Orioles content Monday through Friday. Again, the only place you can get daily Orioles content in podcast form. So with that, we thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. And your first listen today is going to be about Orioles left-handed relievers. As again, Joe Paparato is back on the podcast. Sports producer at WBAL-TV 11. He talked about Cole Sulcer and Dylan Tate with us on yesterday's episode. That's Wednesday's episode if you want to go back and check that one out. But today we go to the lefties, Tanner Scott and Paul Fry. About Tanner Scott, it's more at what point Do we think of Tanner Scott as maybe not the next incredible left-handed reliever and just a guy who throws hard and sometimes has it and sometimes doesn't? When does that, you know, narrative kind of shift to this is what Tanner Scott is? Maybe that was this season. And then we talk about Paul Fry, 
man, oh man, what the heck happened in that season? We try to dissect everything that happened with Fry that landed him from going to one of the best relievers in the AL at the beginning of the year to being in AAA and honestly struggling in AAA in September. So we'll talk about all that right now with Joe Paparato. We are giving out grades to the Orioles' left-handed relievers, Tanner Scott and Paul Fry. And I want to leave the Paul Fry conversation to second because that takes maybe we should commit like a hour long special on what happened to Paul Fry this year. But we, Joe, are going to start with Tanner Scott because it was definitely a little bit of a disappointing year when you compare it to what he did in 2020. But the numbers were still good at times and he still showed some unhittable stuff when he could throw a strike. So, what kind of grade do you give Tanner Scott this year? Man, uh, both of the lefties, Tanner Scott and Paul Fry, they are just such a mysterious case. Um, I'm going to give Tanner Scott a C plus. Um, and I'm doing that and I'm looking at his, his surface numbers, surface numbers. He walks guys like he likes it. Um, but big high strikeout rate. Um, his five, one, seven ERA is very deceiving. He allowed six earned runs in a third of an inning in his final outing of the, of the year. It went up a full run. Now, I don't think in his career he's ever allowed six in one inning before. I don't think that's who he is. Um, so I'm willing to give him a little bit of guide. And then after that, he was he was injured. So I'm not going to take too much of that into account of his his final numbers. Um, but his his um, walks to hits were were up. He was known to give up uh, a very unfortunately timed home run late in the innings. Um, but his first half was great. If 35 and two thirds, two, seven, eight ERA, only two home runs allowed. Um, but he is wild and he needs to command his pitches. And I think that he lives and dies by his slider. It's a great pitch to strike out a guy on, but if you're not, if he falls behind in an at bat, he does not come back from it. If he falls behind one and oh, the at bat's over. You might as well, you might as well have the guy walk to first base um, because he rarely ever comes back from that. Um, but he has low exit velocity and, and um, his, but oddly enough, the slider, he has a low chase rate. It's, it's super weird um, what he's, what he accomplishes. Um, and his slider, which is also great, he allowed four home runs off of it this year. Um, four of the six home runs that he allowed were, were off of his slider. So, um, and not to mention, he also, um, he would come in with, with a lot of men on because he can strike out guys, but he also allowed a lot of inherited runners to score. Um, so he is, he, he's a mysterious case. He really only uses his slider and his fastball, doesn't really have any other pitch. Um, and, you know, he's supposed to get lefties out. And he kind of, he was okay with that. Um, so he's so up and down. He had a great first half and he got hurt. Um, a lot of his runs were off of one outing. Um, but he needs to command his pitches. I mean, he could be so, so good. He could be an Andrew Miller type. And that's, I think, what some, some people were thinking, um, you know, as, when, when he first came up. And, uh, man, he just – he needs to just command his pitches more because it's just too many walks because when they're hitting, they're not hitting it very hard off of him. So he just – and he needs to get ahead of, uh, ahead of hitters in order to succeed. 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give a C to Tanner Scott. And there's there's like one kind of C you can give where you just feel like a player was super average on the year, maybe disappointed you a little bit. I give a C to Tanner Scott because there's a Tanner Scott in my mind that deserves an A, and there's a Tanner Scott in my mind that deserves yeah. an F. And we saw them both this sure. season. And sure. we've seen them both in the past. And to be honest, we saw the A Tanner Scott for most of 2020. And a lot of the time before that, we saw the F Tanner Scott. And this year, we kind of saw a combination of both. And, you know, obviously he got himself, you know, his his largest workload of his career was 54 innings this year, 62 appearances. And, you know, when you compare it to, to last season, it's tough because he pitched 21 innings in 2020. Now, the ERA was 131, but it's 21 innings, the shortened season. But the K rate was up. Now, it wasn't up to his best numbers. And this is where Tanner Scott's really weird because he had a similar season of workload back in 2018. He threw 53 innings that year, threw 54 innings this year. That year, his ERA was 5-4. And we were like, this guy has some good stuff, but man, oh, man, can he just throw a strike? And he did strike out about 13 guys per nine, only walked about a little less than five per nine. This year, it was about 11 and a half Ks per nine and about six walks per nine. So if you go back to that 2018 year, you actually have the Ks down and the walks way up from that year. And I would think at this point, like I think people in their head say Tanner Scott, even though he had struggles, is better this year than he was in 2018. That really was not the case. And I think the big issue for Tanner Scott, and this is something you don't have to look at the numbers, but the numbers tell you it obviously, but you can see it with your eyes. He went through probably his last month plus before he had the injury that eventually just put him out for the season without a fastball. And it's funny when you look at his usage numbers, because he ended up throwing his slider, I believe about 53, 54% of the time. So he threw more than his fastball. And you would think, oh, that's a guy who just really, you know, trusts his slider. He's got a really dominant one. The Orioles have told him to use the slider more. I personally think that number is like that because for a month and a half at the end of the year before he got injured, he had zero fastball command. He would have outings. I remember looking through outings and talking about outings on this very podcast where he would throw an inning. He'd throw 18 pitches, let's say. He'd throw 15 sliders. And all three of the fastballs would be for a ball. And it's like, not only can he not command this pitch, it's so bad that he knows the command isn't there, that it wasn't there in the bullpen when he warmed up. He came into the game, he threw one or two of them, and he said it's still not there, and he just went away from it. And again, like we talked about earlier, unless you're Zach Britton, Kenley Jansen, Mariano Rivera, you can't get away with one pitch. And I know that slider is really good. And I've seen him strike out really good hitters throwing only sliders. Like he'll throw a back foot slider to a guy like Nelson Cruz and make him look silly. And you're like, Nelson, why are you swinging at that? He has one pitch, but that's how good <laughs> yeah. that slider can be at times. Right. But if you can't at least toss that fastball in there, when you're Tanner Scott and you're 2-0 and you can't throw 97 just to get yourself a strike. It becomes tough to have sustained success. You can have good innings. You can have a couple of good days. But when hitters pick up that you have no fastball command, they're going to sit slider. And when you leave one over the plate, that's why, as you said, most of his homers were given up on that slider because he just threw it so much. And I just, I mean, he's going to be back with the O's next year. They're going to give him another chance. The stuff is too good to not give him another chance. But he's got to work on fastball command. And it's almost like, you know, with other pitches, I feel like you can work more on that command with the fastball command. Like that's the first pitch you throw as a little kid. Like you almost just have to hope it comes back. Like I'm sure there's drills he can do and stuff he can do in the off season to get it back, but you're almost just sitting there hoping like he can throw a strike with his fastball. And it didn't really happen this year. I love the stuff. I think it's dominant. I want to see him get more chances in the bullpen while this team is not good, but man, oh man, just, there needs to be more strike. I, I honestly think there's not much more we can say about Scott because like you just got to throw strikes. 
So we'll get back to it with Joe Paparato in just a second, and we'll grade the wild season for Paul Fry this year with the Orioles. But first, this episode is brought to you by rockauto.com. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. You can save time and money when using rockauto.com, so why would you choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chance store or car dealership? They have everything you could need at rockauto.com, and the prices are reliably low for every single customer. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. And write Locked On Orioles in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. I think that's a good segue into the last guy we're going to talk about, which is Paul Fry. Mm -hmm. And speak of needing to throw strikes, that was the most, (laughs) Joe, I got to tell you, that was the most unbelievable season I've seen from any Major League (laughs) Baseball player. To do what he did in the first half, to be not only the Orioles' best reliever, I think no question about it, he was the Orioles' best reliever until the All-Star game, but to be seriously considered, I would say he was a top 10 probably reliever in the American League. Like, he was dominant. To go from that to having a 15-ish ERA over your last couple of months before getting demoted to AAA and then staying in AAA for the final month, I don't think I have ever seen anything like it. So when you put all that together in your head, what kind of grade comes out for Paul Fry? Um, well, like you said, because he had a fantastic first half of the season, he was a trade chip. And I really don't know why they thought, hmm, well, we're planning on losing 100 games this year. Um, let's hang on to this guy. But no, everybody's on the table. I, I don't know why it wasn't, okay, you're having a fantastic year. You haven't had a fantastic year before. Your value will never be higher. Let's move, let's, let's move on and see what we can get for you. That didn't happen. And then not so good things happen. Um, finished with a 608 ERA. His first half, um, let's say his first 26 games, 25 innings, and only five earned runs. Okay, good. Um, his hard hit rate, very, very good. Um, there weren't guys really teeing off on him. Um, but 35 walks in 47 innings is mind-numbing. Now, I was looking at his opponents that he pitched against this year. This is wild. I, I don't know if you saw this yet or not. But in 4.2 innings against the Rays this season, 10 hits, 18 earned runs, 15 walks, six strikeouts in four and two-thirds innings. 15 walks in four and two-thirds innings, 18 earned runs. Now, 16 of those 18 earned runs came in the last five meetings against the Rays. Now, I did the math. If you take out the Rays and look at all of his other opponents for the rest of the season, he had a 2.95 ERA. Okay. 
that's good. That's the Paul Fry that we saw in the first half. That's the Paul Fry that that um, that was going should have been traded. So this is such a weird, weird case. He does walk everybody, not just the Rays, um, but that is astounding. Uh, there's numbers against uh, against that one team that he had trouble with. Um, so I really don't know what to think about this. That's why I'm going to give him. I'm going to give him a C plus um, because besides the Rays, his numbers were good. And in the first half, his numbers were good enough to be traded. And he was the Orioles best reliever in that first half. Um, so it's just the, the number, like they don't even make sense. One number to the next doesn't add up to, to anything. Um, so I don't know the real Paul Fry. I don't know the fake Paul Fry. Uh, I don't know Paul Fry. So I, I really, I really don't know what to tell you besides there's numbers against the Rays and um, he really needs to work on, on command. He walks too many guys. That's his, that's his issue. So I don't know. What's, what's your take on this one? I'm going to be harsh on Paul Fry. I'm going to lay out my reasons why <laughs> I'm going to give him a okay. D I'm going to give him a D for the All season, right. which is okay. one of the worst okay. grades I'm going to give out here to uh, these players. Okay. And okay. I got to tell you, like, it was unbelievable to watch him. Like he was the most fun reliever for me to watch on the Orioles besides a good Cesar Valdez. A good Cesar Valdez is by far my favorite reliever to watch. But behind oh, that, sure. Paul Fry took that cake this year. And watching him fall off was ridiculous. And I knew that raised stat, not because I had looked it okay. up, because there is a screen grab that was on Twitter from the Rays broadcast. It was the last time Fry pitched against Tampa before he was sent down. Okay. He had, I believe, recorded one out. He had walked like four guys and he had left the game. And the Rays broadcast put up his stats against the Rays with a shot of him, like with his head in his hands in the dugout. And that wow. made its way around Twitter a little bit. And I remember seeing that. And it was from Rays fans being like, this guy has done this against us this year. And of course, it made wow. its way to the Orioles. And I thought it was just, breaking news here. <laughs> just an unbelievable. <laughs> I can't. And, and again, the Rays, amazing team. But it, it happened against other teams. And you mentioned the two nine five, but even in the second half, you know, he was, I just, here's the reason I'm going to give the D we're, we might never know this. This might never come out, but I think in terms of looking at the numbers, you have to assume Paul Fry was using something. There was something on his hands, something in his glove, something on his hat somewhere, because it doesn't directly coincide with when the sticky stuff crackdown came, but it's pretty darn close. And when you see a guy not just go from oh, a three ERA pitcher to a five ERA pitcher, but from best pitcher on a team to can't really even get triple A hitters out. I don't know if he took a gander at his triple A numbers when he went down there. Not good. Not as bad as the majors before he got sent down, but not good. Um, he was never pitching more than, than, than to like two or three batters. It was a couple of walks and a strikeout. He was not getting a lot of guys out in Norfolk either. And for him to go down there and not come back, because remember, he went down like fairly early. It wasn't like, you know, he went down the last week of the year. He went down in mm -hmm. late August. We thought, all right, he needs a get right week, a get right two weeks to come back. There was never even a thought of bringing him back to the Orioles in September. That really concerns me. And again, you know, he's due for arbitration this fall and it's not much money he's going to make. He should make about a million dollars. I think the Orioles will pay it just because of what he did in the first half, but if it's a sticky stuff thing and he never figured out how to pitch without it, that is concerning. And again, you want to give him a whole off, off season because a lot of these guys were kind of hit with this right away and going, oh my God, I'm, I can't use this stuff I've been using. What do I do? And there were guys like Garrett Richards on the Red Sox who outwardly said, like, I was using stuff 
They took it away. I don't know how to pitch anymore. And he had to like <laughs> sit down for two weeks and revamp his entire repertoire. But the thing is, Garrett Richards wasn't even that amazing beforehand. He sat down, figured it out, and he has become a solid reliever for a Red Sox team that, as we record this here, is still in the postseason. So it's yeah. like if if Paul Fry had all that time, and here's the other thing about AAA, once he went down to Norfolk, you can kind of be like, all right, look, Paul, we'll pitch you once every five days. I need you to be in the bullpen figuring out how to throw strikes again without sticky stuff if that was the issue. And the fact that that didn't really happen down there either, it could have, and maybe the Orioles just didn't want to bring him back up, but it didn't look like it did is very concerning to me, which is kind of where the D grade comes out for Paul Fry. And again, I don't think they'll non-tender him because of this. I think he'll be back in spring training competing for a spot, but we'll know fairly quickly. And if the Orioles think he can't get it back, they might non-tender him. And if we see that kind of surprising news come out this winter, I think that is 100% he was using sticky stuff and he couldn't figure out how to pitch without it. If he comes back to spring training, I think obviously that means you know he's figured something out. The Orioles are working with him. Because it was really good before that, but really bad after. And the other thing to think about is, yes, he he had a good 2020 as well. But it's not like he was a you know four or five-year-long dominant reliever. Like he was an average middle reliever to below average who had been DFA'd a couple of times before that. And then it was a solid shortened season, a breakout first half, a disastrous second half. So we're not talking about this long track record and him just throwing it all away. It's just such an odd season. And to end on this, Joe, I'll give you the last word on it. But like, I mean, if you're maybe even one of the front office guys, maybe one of the Orioles coaches, and maybe you do know exactly what's going on, but you have to just sit there and go, I mean, as fans, we're sitting there and going, how does this even happen? And I'm sure there's probably some coaches working with Paul Fry just sitting there just going, how does this even happen? Because again, as we talked about, like, I've never really seen anything like it happen to a pitcher. Yeah, um, man. It's, it's wild. I didn't even think about the sticky stuff, but this makes perfect sense. Um, I loved, I would love to see his, his spin rates. Um, I didn't get a chance to check that part out, um, but I can't imagine it was too great. So yeah, that, that could have been an, an effect as well. I think the, what's in Paul Fry's favor is that, okay, maybe the Orioles are going to take a step forward next year but they're not going to be taking a step forward into the postseason. So there's time and there's time that I don't think that their Orioles are panicking. They saw what he could do. I think it's fixable, especially if, like you said, the sticky stuff is what was going on. Learn your, you learn your repertoire again in the off season, get it right. Throw strikes. Um, I, I have, faith in all the technology that the Orioles front office is throwing out that they would be able to find uh, a small issue or a tweak that they could fix that, that would help him out. Um, and so he starts in AAA next year. Okay. He can come up and, and have a stretch of, of reliable innings. Uh, but right now I don't think that there's any panic mode involved. And I think that it's, it's a good situation for him because they're not in a hurry. They can take their time with him. And if they do DFA him or, or let him go or trade him or whatever, um, I don't, I think that maybe they think it's just probably a lost cause and we're just going to move on. And that also means that they probably have some other guys in mind, but I don't know there's other guys in mind. Um, so 
we'll see. But that's definitely something that he, like you said, we could be doing this podcast, uh, you know, part one of seven of Paul Fry, the mysterious case of Paul Fry. So, man, it's, uh, yeah, you were brutal. You were tough, but fair. So I will, I will give you that. I was a little more generous because of the race stat, but yeah, when you put it that way, it's um, yikes. Yeah. Hopefully he figures it out. Listen, one of these two lefties, I feel like it's going to need to figure it out fully in 2022 or the Orioles will be looking elsewhere for both. But Joe, thank you so much. I mean, you know, we, we talked a lot about four relievers, uh, you know, and especially the, the two lefties here as well. But again, they were the most important pitchers out of the bullpen for the Orioles. And, and you know, they should all be back with the O's in 2022. And, and you know, we'll see what their roles will be moving forward. But, uh, you know, a fun group to talk about. Definitely an interesting group to talk about, especially the two lefties. But uh, Joe, thanks again for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to do it. So we'll get back to the Orioles talk in just a second, but first, got to tell you about betonline.ag. We're back and better than ever. That's what BetOnline says with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. And BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. And hey, don't forget the baseball action. You can still go there to bet on the World Series for the remainder of this fall classic. So head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today, and you can receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked On to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. And you do it at BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. So our thanks again to Joe Paparato for joining us once again to give out some report card grades to Tanner Scott and Paul Fry here on this season. Again, Joe is the uh, sports producer over at WBAL-TV 11. Uh, He's been on this podcast a couple of times before, uh, including yesterday. He was on the Wednesday episode of the pod as well. We did kind of the first part of our conversation, talked about Cole Sulser and Dylan Tate, gave grades to them. And then today, of course, Scott and Fry, you can follow him at Joe Papa on Twitter, a big part of O's Twitter as well. But definitely an interesting conversation. And, you know, it's definitely good to get into all the Tanner Scott stuff. And, you know, he's been so up and down. And and when he's good, he's lights out. I mean, it's 97-98 from the left side with a wipeout slider. He's sometimes impossible to hit when he's on. And that's what we saw for most of the shortened 2020 season. And we saw it at times definitely in 2021. But we've also seen what he is when he's not on. And really, it was almost kind of, I thought, better this year because I at least felt like we identified exactly what happens to him when he's not on in 2021. And that is, I don't really think he struggles with slider command anymore. I think he has that pitch down pat. It's his number one pitch. You know, it's not just that he threw it, you know, almost 60% of the time as opposed to his fastball, but he likes that pitch. But as we talked about with Joe, the reason why he's throwing that pitch so much sometimes is because he literally doesn't have any fastball command at all at some times. And it's great if you're throwing up to 99 from the left side, but if you have no idea where it's going, it doesn't help you much. 
And so for Scott, you know, this offseason needs to be all about fastball command. And he doesn't have as much team control as a lot of these other relievers do because, you know, he's been up with the O's for a while now, you know, since 2017. And so, you know, he uh, is coming closer and closer to the end of his potential time with the Orioles. And obviously, you know, he's arbitration eligible. I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to bring Tanner Scott back in 2022. You know, they're going to they're going to tender him a contract this offseason and they're going to work on that fastball command. And hopefully he can come back and be that dominant guy we saw in 2020. But Paul Fry is such a different conversation. That's why we honestly went longer on Fry uh, with Joe here on this episode. So, you know, just how do you look at Paul Fry? What do you do with him this offseason? I mean, it was so good in the first half and so terrible in the second half. And obviously, I bring up the sticky stuff thing, and, you know, there's no proof that that is the case, but things just kind of point that way where, you know, the spin rates did go down, but with just everything falling apart, you have to think. He was using something, they cracked down, and he couldn't find something else to use that worked for him, and it just snowballed on him, and he became terrible. And and listen, you know, I, I mentioned to Joe, like, if you look at the AAA numbers after he went down to Norfolk for the final month of the year, like, they were not good either for Paul Fry. And I mean, listen, he didn't pitch much when he went down to AAA, like, the Orioles were clearly trying to give him some sort of rest and give him more space to work on things, but... He did pitch in 11 games, and you know when he did come in, he was only throwing to a batter or two, maybe three at the most. It ended up being eight innings. He allowed just five hits, but it was seven runs. He struck out seven batters. He walked nine batters, and he hit two batters in just those eight AAA innings at Norfolk in September after the Orioles sent him down. And when they demoted him, we thought, all right, Paul Fry, you know, something's wrong. He needs a break. He needs two weeks down there. But I'm sure we'll see him back up for the final, you know, 10, 15 games of the Orioles season. That never even came close to happening. It was just as bad, it seemed, in AAA and, and now you really do start to worry. And again, the AAA hitters only hit 179 against him. So when he was able to throw the ball in the zone, again, it was five hits in eight innings. He looked better, but he still could not find the strike zone at all. And those numbers were still very, very bad in AAA. And hopefully that it was because he was working on some stuff and trying out some new stuff to try to figure it out. But he's definitely in, a, in an interesting spot because, again, he is also arbitration eligible for the first time this offseason with the Orioles. And, you know, he'll only probably cost somewhere in between $1 and $2 million if the Orioles tender him a contract for 2022. But, you know, unless they know more, which they probably do, but if they are still trying to figure out what's wrong with him and what happened to him, he could be a non-tender candidate if the Orioles really feel like he just lost it and may not get it back. But I do think they know something, and I think he will be back because he was just so good at the beginning of the year. you got to give him another chance, uh, but it's definitely just such an interesting season. That was a, a good conversation to have with Joe about that and about what the heck happened to Paul Fry this season. But here on the podcast, uh, we will be back with you tomorrow for one more episode of the week. No World Series baseball tonight. It's the off day, the travel day, uh, as the teams head back to Atlanta uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in the ATL. And, you know, the series could be wrapped up. We could see, uh, you know, it end in five or potentially, you know, in, on Sunday. Uh, so that could be uh, the World Series. And uh, by the time we come back to you next Monday, it could have a, uh, a champion for 2021. But, uh, you know, no baseball tonight. But we will have an episode tomorrow to finish out the week. Our second installment of Free Agent Friday here on the podcast. We started this last Friday where most Fridays throughout the offseason, uh, at least until we get, you know, closer and closer to the, to the new year, we will take a look 
at a position on the diamond and take a look at three free agents that the Orioles could potentially bring in. Because we know Mike Elias and his staff are going to be looking to spend maybe at least a little bit more money this offseason. So last Friday, we talked about catchers because you know, we felt like the Orioles might have three new catchers next year. Obviously, one of them being Adley Rutschman, but they're going to have to bring in somebody else. We're going to skip first base because honestly, with Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini there, Probably not a lot of room. You add in Tyler Nevin, really not a lot of room for bringing in a first baseman. But we're going to move to second base on tomorrow's free agent Friday. And I know Ramon Arias played really well there last season, but he was still injured some. And he still has things to prove. And the other thing is, you know, Arias can play short and third. So if the Orioles find a good second base option, maybe they can move a guy like Arias around the diamond. And again, you know, I'm not sure if the Orioles are ready to commit to giving Jemai Jones all of those at-bats either. So it still could be a place that they are are looking to improve the team. So on tomorrow's episode, we'll take a look at three second basemen that the Orioles could potentially target in free agency this offseason. But until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.